0: Well, yes, we are starting our stewardship campaign, our time of year when we raise the funds for the budget for the coming year. And so this service is what is called, by clever, witty, clergy, throughout the English-speaking world, the sermon on the amount. (laughs) I love that you all laugh at what is just the ultimate dad joke in minister circles. It's new to some of you and I'm grateful, uh, but I found myself wanting to, um, to really delve into some of the thinking about money and, and beyond money, um, this idea of enough that is, is so important to us far beyond any questions of raising money. And I know what it's like to hear, um, to hear somebody speaking to you about anything, something, however profound and fascinating, when you know at the end they're going to ask you for money. Like, um, Where is she going with this? Oh, I see what she's going to do. So um, I want to get the ask out of the way right now. This congregation runs on our contributions. That's where the money comes from. As, as Brooke said eloquently last night, everything here, everything, everybody's salaries, every part of the building, the fact that there's heat moving through it right now, everything in the whole history of this congregation has been brought about by the vision and then the gifts of people um, just like you, yourselves and people before you. Um, and it will be around in years to come because of what we do now. So please do pick up your packet and give generously. but. That's all I need to say, because I, I know that you're here. You care enough about this congregation that you would, you would double or triple your pledge, without question, if money were no object. But money is an object. And so I really want to think about, together, about, about how money works in our lives. And I want to start with the succulents outside my bedroom door. There are a lot of them, lots of little pots. And um, I'm a lackadaisical gardener, so I water them when I remember, which is luckily generally okay for succulents. That's why I have a lot of succulents. They're very, they're very forgiving, easygoing plants. But with the rain this winter, they are thriving. All the water they need is seeping past their little roots, and they are drinking it up. They're plump and bright green, and there's new growth. There's flowers on some plants. I didn't even know that they flowered. They're just doing great, except for a few whose pots don't have any drainage holes. You know, maybe they were indoor plants, or maybe it just was never an issue for us because it just never rains that much, not in the whole time that I've had a deck to have plants on here in the Bay Area. And so for them, the water is not flowing, but accumulating. They have too much. And I have to remember to go pour off the extra, and even then, the soil doesn't dry out around their roots the way succulents like in between waterings. And so they're not looking so good, those. I have to bring them indoors to where they can dry out. They're just. It's funny, they they get the same sort of ailment as they get if they don't get enough water. They're starting to be kind of brown. Excess in the body, as it has been said in many ways, is poison, even if it's what we need, even if we need it as much as plants need water. There's such a thing as too much. And so I wanted to think today about enough, and although If you saw this uh, title announced in the bulletin or on the website, you saw it as having enough. In the process of thinking about it, and by the time I got to the order of service, I realized I wasn't just thinking about money and material things. That really this, this problem of enough follows us in what we do, in what we are, in every area of our lives. So I've changed the title. Just enough. But first, I want to talk about material things. Speaking of conference rooms, sorry, Diane, but um, but I want to share with you a, a little diagram, in a really old school way that was um, that appeared uh, in my first experience of it was a um, in another book about money and its meanings called "Your Money and Your Life" by uh, by um, your Money or Your Life by jo- Joe Dominguez and Vicki Rubin. And um, they share this thing that they call the fulfillment curve. So this is a graph and on the y-axis you have fulfillment. Fulfillment, Do our th- fulfillment is good, things that we need and want. And then we have the money access. And they say, you know, at the beginning, your money buys you a lot of fulfillment because you, you need things to survive. So the difference between not surviving and surviving obviously is huge. So just a little money, the money that gets you shelter, say, that gets you health care. OK, that's not a little money, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the first money that goes towards your survival needs, that's a pretty steep curve. Lots of fulfillment per buck there. That's for survival. And then the curve continues, and it starts to level out a little bit now that you've got the things you really need, and what money buys you at that point is another kind of fulfillment. It's not as intense. It doesn't get you as much of that. I really need that. That's comforts. And up around here, you get to this point, the magical point that they call enough. This is the peak of the fulfillment curve. You have enough. And what happens after that, as you get more money, they say, the curve keeps going. And this is stuff like overconsumption and other discontents. It's a really radical idea for some, the idea that there's such a thing as too much money. Overconsumption here. Over is a judgment, of course, and we all make our own judgments, and that's really what I'm thinking about here. Because, you know, what this really is about is noticing. Noticing what enough is for, for you. So just thinking about material things, here's an analogy when you 're eating a nice meal, like you really you 're really enjoying this food uh, maybe you 're out at a restaurant, maybe you at a friend 's house you 've made something special there 's a dessert off in the offering, and um, you eat until you 're almost full and then you stop because you want to save room for dessert, as we say and uh, you know it 's going to be good. You see it there on the counter, and um, you wait ten minutes or so because um, you know you've really you 've really eaten enough and you, um, you want to feel hungrier before you get to dessert. But, um, but you don't feel hungrier. As time goes on, the opposite happens. I don't know the science, and my way of putting this may make any neuroscientists in the room wince, sorry, <laughs> but many people's experience confirms mine, it seems to ta- that it seems to take the brain 10 minutes or so to get the message that you've had enough you've eaten enough. So that pause helps us to realize, oh, I've had enough. I didn't feel this full 10 minutes ago, but in the 10 minutes when I have eaten nothing else, now, now I know I've had enough. I don't want to eat anymore. So I'm thinking about what happens when we put that pause in other parts of our lives. When we see what another person has, and we have that that clutch of desire, envy maybe. You think, I want that too. Hmm. What would happen if we paused there and just said, what's, what's going on? Do I need it? Do I, want it? Do I want it really? Is it just a momentary thing like, oh, that chocolate mousse is on the counter and it sure looks good. <laughs> but ah, maybe I don't want it right now. We don't notice unless we pause, you know? Or, you know, in a more immediate kind of thing, uh, we're walking past things to buy, we're in a store, we're walking on a street, and we feel that strong urge, not just to see them, but to own them. And what if we paused there and said, hmm, wonder what's going on? What's happening there, what's happening in that pause is noticing what we really need and what we really want. It's about discovering what is most important to us. Now, it doesn't mean we're never going to make the purchase, you know? We we need things, we want things. Just trying to recognize what's going on because it's so instinctual sometimes. So I walk by a a display of books and I'm like, oh yeah, I want to read that book and go in, buy it. Do I really want to buy it? Do I want to own it? Do I want to just read it? Maybe I'll buy it, maybe I'll read it again and again, maybe I'll pass it on to a friend. Maybe it'll look nice on my bookshelf. (laughs) Or maybe I'll just take it out of the library or borrow it from somebody, or wait till it comes out in paper anyway, buy it used. Or maybe that's not, maybe it's not about reading the book at all. Maybe I've just had a real bummer of a morning and I just want to cheer myself up and boy, there's nothing like it, handing over 25 bucks and getting something that's all mine. (laughs) But you know, the 25 bucks costs us something. I mean, that's why they wrote this book, right? It doesn't just come from nowhere unless you're really, really lucky. So you have to think about well, how much do I want to spend that? We'll come back to that. Because I, I'm just thinking about this pause the pause of enough. The whole concept of enough here in the United States in the 21st century is profoundly countercultural, it is against the stream. Consumer capitalism depends on our buying more and more. It might not be the best thing for us. It's usually not the best thing for the Earth. But we get so many messages, buy more. Even when we give thanks for abundance, such as on Thanksgiving Day, we are supposed to enter the very next day into a frenzy of need. I have just given thanks for all the abundance in my life, and now it's scarcity, folks. Gotta buy, buy, buy. (laughs) If we focused on what was most important to us, ah, we might decide that the money that we could own from a promotion by working late, and then spend in the consumer economy, is less important to us than the time that we could spend with our families by leaving work at five. Hmm, what would happen to the economy then? I'm being sarcastic, really. I mean, if anybody thinks the economy would crumble, come talk to me. I got stats. (laughs) If we thought about what was most important to us, we might decide that what we most want is a country that lives out environmental principles. And we not only wouldn't buy so much stuff, we would put our life energy less into accumulating that money and more into helping bring about that Country We might notice that nothing buoys our spirits, like helping adults in our community gain literacy, or um, helping take care of the kids of somebody who's single and overworked, you know whatever. I don't know what is happening, what is most important to you. What I want is for you to know. And there is a very strong stream in our culture trying to rush us past those moments of decision so we don't even notice that we are deciding, and we don't know what is most important to us. But there are other streams of culture helping us to notice and know when we have enough, when we have all that we need. Wise people like Thoreau telling a friend, oh, how I laugh when I think of my vague, indefinite riches. No run on my bank can drain it, for my wealth is not possession, but enjoyment. Teachers like Lynn Twist, helping us notice how often each day we say, I don't have enough. Enough sleep, enough time, enough money, enough praise, enough accomplishment, enough shining items on our resume, enough acclaim. Helping us to question what she calls that reverie of lack in which we live so that we might notice abundance, so that we might notice those things that we need, and they usually aren't things, of which we cannot get too much, that will never poison us, like love and friendship, like music and beauty and justice and kindness. Against. The mainstream in our culture, we have teachings like those of the Achuar people of Peru and Ecuador, who long before those lines were drawn on the map of the South American continent, were custodians of the Amazon, and recipients of its abundance, and continue to be, and have helped form Lynn Twist's understanding, have helped the global north see how we might all be custodians of what really matters to us. We have voices like those of Lewis Owens, who spoke out of his Choctaw and Cherokee heritage when he said, our job is to be an awake people, utterly conscious to attend to our world. As I wrote this, I thought of something that's been very precious to me lately, something that's really important to me. I've been listening to the podcast Seen on Radio, if you're ever looking for it, it's seen like S-C-E-N-E on radio, and particularly its series "Seeing White, um, which is a history, uh, uh, research and exploration and interviews on whiteness. What does whiteness mean, and how did it come to be, the the be-all and end-all of this culture? How has that developed over time, and how does it appear in ways that I wasn't even aware of. I learned a lot from it. It's really, really helpful. And um, it also doesn't have any ads, which I appreciate. So I know their funding comes comes from listeners. It arrives free, and you can decide if you want to pay for it. So I paused in my writing of this to go to their website and make a donation. And after some hesitation, which I'll tell you about, I gave $200. I tell you the exact amount because I want you to know that's several hours of pre-tax income for me. Brooke talked about stretching to that point of being a little uncomfortable when she addressed us last night at the dinner. She said, you know, whatever you choose to give to something that's important to you, which I hope this congregation is one of those things, give, give beyond that point of what's comfortable. So my giving that much to seen on radio, that was a little uncomfortable. But it will help bring into the world something I value tremendously, something I do care about. The discomfort was like this inner voice, but do I have enough? And I realized the answer was, I have enough money. I'm very lucky. I can give $200 to something that I could get for free. And what I really want, I realized, having been encouraged by this process of writing this to pause myself and think, what I really want is this kind of thorough, honest writing going out on the airwaves. I want to live in the culture that it might help bring about. That's worth a lot to me. That's worth several hours of my hard work. So as I say, I've been talking mostly about money and the things that it buys, but you know, when it comes to um, doing enough, being enough, which maybe is what this whole thing is about. The fulfillment curve applies too. You might put different things here, like um, instead of money, we're talking about things that we do, tasks, accomplishments, achievements, and maybe the kind of fulfillment it brings is different too. It's not about getting survival so much. I mean, doing a job, sure. That part is about survival and comforts. But what else is, what else is it about? And what's enough? When we feel like we need to do more, that maybe is. we feel like we're not enough. We, we have to be more. We don't believe the words of Maya Angelou printed here in your order of service. You are enough. You don't believe it. No, not yet. So I'd like to think for a moment, just ask Ask you to reflect on your life, life maybe of just the last few days, and think of a moment where you've thought, "I have to do more." I don't know of what. Lots of lots of things might come to you in your work, in your volunteer life, in your family, in your house cleaning. Where do you feel like I have to do more? And there too, can we pause and think, what was going on there? Why do I have to do more? Do I have enough? Am I doing enough? Am I enough? or is this genuinely something that's important to me? In which case, fine, do. Now, in trying to figure out which is which, I've been really helped um, by a a lovely little uh, blog, it's called a video blog, vlog, by uh, Hank Green, the writer, who exchanges these um, video blogs with uh, his brother, John Green, a more famous writer. Both lovely, lovely people. And, Hank, uh, I don't watch all of them, but uh, Hank's little video blog entry pulled me in with its title, The Secret of My Productivity. Oh. <laughs> I am a productivity junkie, right? I mean, he's going to tell me how to get more done, you know, how to be more and be enough because I'm not already enough and all that jazz. Okay, sleep more maybe too. Well, I think he's being a little sneaky there, but I'll explain to you what he means. It's about um, the secret of his productivity, he says, is 80%. He says, I've noticed that to get a job like basically done, like good enough, a good enough job takes, you know, like it's 80% done, takes a certain amount of time. He's like, if I want to bring it to 100%, if I want to do it really superlatively well, okay, I could do that, but the time that it takes to get that 100% that's like 80% of the time it only took 20% he's playing with the numbers of course here to be it's kind of a gimmick but you know it's right it only took a little bit of the time to get to that point of okay yeah you know good enough and then that last 20% he says well if I have the time if I really want to polish it if this is really important to me okay I can put in that extra 80% of time to get that extra 20% of value. But he said, the secret of my productivity is I stop at 80%, unless I've really got that kind of time. Now, I think he is cleverly luring us in with that clickbait title. It's really not productivity he's talking about. He's talking about the secret of his contentment, the secret of his satisfaction. It's the secret of enough it's pausing and saying have i done enough okay then i could stop and hey if this is this is something that's really important to you you know you just you want to get it just right you know okay i'm going to rip out those 10 rows of knitting because of that one mistake back there cuz i just i want this to be perfect and i don't have to i don't have to but i want it to be perfect the whole idea is to do that consciously when we do it not because something grips us in our gut, not because we haven't even thought about it. So if you're in school, that might mean the difference between, well, 80% might look like this. You do your homework, you pay attention in class, you prepare for a test, and you know that you learned what you came to learn. Here, 80% isn't such a good analogy because you know, that'll probably get you more than a B minus. You know, so you, you put in that much effort and you know, you've learned what you needed to learn. Or you could think that's not enough I have to have the best grade in the class. I must never have a blot on my permanent record. I learned recently that the myth of the permanent record is alive and kicking in today's middle schools. (laughs) We have tried through various methods to convince the middle schooler in the household that there is no such thing, at least not when you're 12, but it has caught. I must do better than my enemy. I must do better than my best friend. I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not accomplished enough until I have put in that 100%. Not an easy way to live. Okay, I've talked about work, I've talked about school, I've talked about knitting when asked to help in the community. 80% might look like saying yes to those things that will create the community that you want to see thrive. Not all of them, just here's something that's important to me and I'm going to do some work on it. Or you could think, I need everybody to be happy with me, and they look disappointed when I say no, so I have to say yes every time. I need to go to 100%, even though this isn't the most important thing to me, even though just putting in a little bit of effort and getting to that 80% would be enough. So with all of these things, we need to pause enough to hear. What are the voices that say, you're not enough? unless we're working ourselves into a panic. What is doing enough? What is being enough? Silicon Valley is not likely to help you figure that out. (laughs) But we, this congregation, don't you think we should be called the soul of Silicon Valley? (laughs) We will. This is what we do. We will help you know what is most important to you so you know when you've gotten to the top of that curve, when you know when you are enough, when you've done enough, when you have enough. You don't have to make any more sacrifices, work any late nights, torture yourself, feel bad about yourself, hear those awful voices in your head just to get more than you already need. Than you already have. What my plants need is a readjustment. I need to move them into pots that let the water flow through so that they have enough but not too much. And then that extra water that they're not taking up can flow into the earth, which needs it, it can flow into the bay, where it will give new life. <coughs> Eventually, it can go back into the clouds and give us more rain. It will all come around. The roots will have what they need, so may we all.